When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT, and former World Cup winner, top 14 winner, Champions Cup winner, won it all, Jerome Kano. We will bring in our special guest shortly as well to have a look ahead to the Wallabies and their meeting with France this weekend. How are you guys, first of all? Because Jerome, you were down in Johnny's neck of the woods at the weekend, weren't you? I was in Bayonne. I had a lot of my young guns from the Esquires playing in the game, which was quite special, but... um... Man, what a place to play it. The atmosphere, the the singing, the crowd. Oh, good. It's, uh, it's definitely a unique place to go and play. And um, yeah, despite the result, uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience, great, great uh, occasion. Mate, you'd have played in pretty much every awesome stadium in the world. Where, for me, Stade Jean Doge is right up there in terms mm-hmm. of atmosphere, public behind you engagement with the crowd like it's rocking like where would you rank it in terms of the places you've been to and played and coached that I was speaking to one of my coaches uh, before that game and we were t- I was talking specifically about uh, the Bayonne Stadium it definitely sits uh, up there with uh, it's, it's not as loud as test match uh, test match uh, arenas but just the constant singing and the the party atmosphere that it has for such a tiny Tiny city, tiny uh, small club. It's incredible, and it just goes for the, for the uh, whole duration of the game. Like you hear in the warm up, the the song "Fit Fit the Molly On," and everyone's singing it before the game. The, the whole stadium goes dark, and everyone's got their lights uh, flashing. It's uh, yeah, it definitely sits up there with some one of the most unique, special places that I've played at or been a part of. And coming on to your weekend, Johnny, a bit of a contrast to Murrayfield, which wasn't so rocking. Uh, so weirdly, compl- we were talking about this in the stands, so during commentary and like Murrayfield, if you go and play against Edinburgh, it had a horrible nickname as the library and that it's quite a quiet place to play, like super respectful. But even when Scotland like came up with massive actions, like don't get me wrong, the anthems and things are amazing. But then because Australia dominated quite a lot of the possession early on, like it was quite quiet, it was quite eerie. And we we're comparing it to the Frenchness of the whole way through, whether it's a brass band, whether it's choirs, whether it's whatever it is. French rugby is kind of carnival-like. It's much more noisy. But mate, outside of 
the game, which we'll probably talk about as well, even though it's not a Scottish rugby podcast. Um, loved Edinburgh. It was great. Did corporate before the game, after the game with Henry Spate, who I think we all found out was the most handsome man in Edinburgh this weekend. Joe Tamani as well. His hair was getting a lot of love, Henry. Oh, mate. He's just, he's just a handsome man, isn't he? Like He's a handsome man. So he, he kept getting stopped. The Afro was getting played with. Um, the rest <laughs> of us were redundant, but we had a good time. Um, and it was good to catch up as well because of COVID. You haven't had these catch-ups with old player mates or people you've played with or it's like Johnny Barkley, Kelly Brown, Jim Hamilton. It was just good to see everyone and did the commentary during the game. And then Tim, you and I caught up after the game. One beer. One beer turned into a few more um, <laughs> and a late night. But mate, you can't beat international weekends. Like the stadium, the buzz, the quality of the rugby was awesome. Um, and catching up with old mates, you know what it's like. It's always a good time. Um, it was difficult to back that up. Like I had to go to Paris on Sunday and commentate on the Bordeaux-Toulon game after not too much slate, which was tough. I think your idea of backing up nowadays, Johnny, is a bit different to Jerome's. Yours is sort of back-to-back late nights and kebabs. Jerome's <laughs> is... <laughs> A bit more professional. I couldn't handle those back-to-back big nights anymore. Well, I mean, I think you'd have fitted in with us on Saturday night, Jerome, because I don't know about you, John, I don't want to bring you down, but it did feel like we were old men in the corner. There were some (laughs) scary outfits. and A hundred years old. A (laughs) hundred years old. And we are such boring old, but it's horrible. And that's it. The Halloween costumes, the flesh that's out. And I'm thinking about like my kids, my daughter, she's going to be there in 10. I'm like, it's scary. I'm like, get me home. I need to get back to my bed. Uh, it's changed, mate. Don't get me wrong. Like nightclubs and stuff now, mate, it's an alien environment for me. I'm happy with some good food, a few beers, catching up with mates, but mate, I um, need to get me home before midnight. That's my game, I'd say. Let's talk a bit about the rugby then. Again, we're coming out a bit later in the week, so we'll throw it ahead mainly to Australia facing France. But Johnny, what will... France have learnt from that? I think pre-game, I think there's quite a few things that have been levelled at Australia, like a little bit inconsistent, a little bit indisciplined. And don't get me wrong, I don't think either side were utterly dominant at the weekend. Neither team were fantastic, but they just did enough to win against a Scottish side that couldn't put them away. So I think they'll know. And this again, it's it's an Australian side without Big Will Skelton, without the Arnold boys, without Curtly Beal. But they'll know that they're competitive. They go hard at the breakdown. They compete well at mall time. They slop your ball. They make it difficult. And, and they're not going to be blown over in Paris. Um, so they know they're getting a real test match coming. And also they've had a week prep. They've had a run out together. So they've had one, um, one prep week ahead of the French side, which will make it more difficult. So I think previously, I, I don't want to use the term like a walkover, considering they beat South Africa, beat Argentina, and came within the last kick of beating New Zealand. But I think they would have been seen as a softer touch maybe three, four months ago. Now, you know, first went away from home on a five-game tour, they'll be up for it and they'll come to Paris and chuck everything at it. Man, I think the Wallabies showed a lot. Definitely in the last few months, they've shown a lot of uh, self-belief within the group and and character. Definitely in the weekend, every time uh, Scotland scored, they seemed to find some way to, to hit back and score again. Like you, you play up here in the north, and any team that gets a seven or six point lead at home, it's pretty tough to crawl back. And uh, the Wallabies showed that they showed uh, a lot of self belief, a lot of character to be able to find something to always answer back every time uh, Scotland scored. So uh, for me, that they did, they did it against the All Blacks, where they're behind by miles, and were able. To, uh, I thought they were pretty unlucky to to, to lose that game as well. Yep. And uh, like Johnny said, beat the Springboks uh, and Argentina. So 
not flash wins, not flash games, but uh, showing what uh, what's really important when you want to win uh, close test matches and that's character and self-belief. We'll chat a little bit more about France-Australia when we get our guest on in a minute, but while we're on last weekend, Jerome, what do you make of the All Blacks at the moment? Because there's a lot of chat about them. They obviously beat Japan, but weren't convincing. There was a red card in that game. How do you think they'll get on against Wales, Scotland and England? Man, it's going to be tough. Obviously losing uh, the skipper. And a couple of notable uh, leaders, um, Dan Coles, and also with Brody being uh, with with the suspension. So, uh, if, if there's anything they want to learn uh, about playing up here, it's it's right now. If if they want to learn something for the World Cup, it's it's the next few weeks. So, it's not going to be easy. Uh, but yeah, I think their depth will definitely be tested. But um, I'll, I'll I'll back them to win all three test matches. Sorry about that, lads. But um, <laughs> the confidence is still there. The Kiwi confidence is still there. I know that uh, the the best place to be in is is to be uh, labelled as the underdog. And right. for them going into the next three test matches, there's no pressure on them. I think. I think uh, everyone's just uh, going to expect the the same performances that they've seen pretty much for the uh, most of the year. And um, if the All Blacks go undefeated in these next three test matches, I'd say it's a pretty uh, decent season for them heading into World Cup year. Do you think this is the closest the top 10 has ever been? Yeah, definitely. I, I can't remember a time where top 10, top 9 have been... Uh, uh, pretty close, but um, for me at the moment, I'd I'd have to say that France and Ireland uh, probably a little bit above uh, the rest, but uh, definitely the rest are pretty pretty close. Right, we will chat a little bit about the top fourteen later on, Johnny, and we'll bring our guest on in just a minute. But we should get straight to your meter moment of the week. What was the best moment in French rugby this weekend? But it came from the top fourteen. It wasn't quite. To lose his performance in Bayonne. Sorry, Jerome. <laughs> but it was another team going away from home. And Jerome, you know how hard it is to go away to this place and win. And Poe did just that at the weekend. Four tries. They competed absolutely everywhere. Like ridiculous to watch. They're bottom of the table prior to the game, which nobody, I don't think, over here saw them winning. But they were class. Line out time, scrum. Defensively, they scrapped for every bit. Um, and they ran in four awesome tries at La Rochelle and probably the biggest upset of the year so far. Um, La Rochelle struggling with their tens out injured and Poe absolutely capitalized. So this week's moment of this meter moment of the week is Poe spanking European champions La Rochelle in La Rochelle, which was absolutely insane. I didn't really watch the game. Well, we were preparing for our Bayonne game and then uh, heading to the bus, I walked past the screen in the lobby and and saw the scores, uh, I was pretty surprised. But yeah, definitely a tough place to go and get a result like that. So There we go, all in agreement. That was Johnny and Jerome's Meter Moment of the Week. And Meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can now get 20% off any full-price item all you have to do is enter the code FrenchPod20 at checkout. That's FrenchPod20, and you'll get 20% off any full price item at meter.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's get our guest on now then, and we can have a chat with a man who won 17 caps for Australia, played for the 2015 World Cup, but is now applying his trade in the south of France with Biarritz. And most importantly was keeping Johnny company in the corporate suites of Murrayfield at the weekend. Joe Tamani joins us. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. We mentioned it there. Any gloating on Saturday? How was it with Johnny? Uh, look, to be honest, with you, I, did, I didn't want to uh, piss the guy off. He was kind enough to invite me. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind enough to invite me. Uh, and it was, it was an awesome experience. I've never really done anything like that before. So, um, And I wanted to make sure that I get invited in the future as well. So. Like, 100% they do all these like they do like the um what do you call like the report cards they're like how good were the guests and everyone's obviously everyone's absolutely hammered when they fill these things out at the end but Joe Tamani 10 Henry Spate 10 Johnny Vidi like my mates were like three and a half (laughs) 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 but you absolutely killed it and then it was awesome that well it was awesome it would have been good to go for a beer but you were exhausted from travel but Tim and I made the stupid idea to go out for a beer with handsome Henry Spate, and we basically just chatted to ourselves while everyone in, in Edinburgh amazed at Henry. Um, but mate, it was a great weekend. It was great to have you over as well, and obviously a big Wallabies win. So, uh, mate, glad you enjoyed it. Um, be awesome to have you back the next couple of years. In terms of the rugby, Jay, obviously it was a, a big win for Australia because they'd lost the last few against Scotland, and they they've lost a few this year as well. So their form wasn't wasn't great. So how big a win was that for them? I think it was huge, especially for this young squad. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, haven't really had this sort of experience as well. So it, it, it's good for also Dave Rennie because he's obviously been under pressure. And and from what I heard, and I, and I touched on this a little on Saturdays, like all the boys rave about how good uh, of a culture and environment he's created within that squad. So it was sort of indicating for him as well to get the swim. You know, the fruits of his hard work is starting to show now because it, it wasn't, the prettiest win for the Wallabies. Uh, Scotland were probably the better side for most of that match, but that, I guess that resilience that he's been trying to install in a lot of these young, uh, in this young squad, showed through, and and they were able to grind out a win against a very good Scotland side. And Jerome, as a breakdown coach, Johnny loves a nausea stat. Here's one for you, Johnny. A third of Scotland's rucks were under three seconds. So generally, 
the Wallabies managed to slow Scotland down and Michael Hooper would have been a big factor in that, a guy you know very well, Jerome. In the last few games that I've watched uh, uh, the Wallabies play, they definitely uh, focus uh, a, a huge amount on their winning the contact. There's some big contacts every time the Wallabies play. So uh, in terms of playing the French, I think that'll be key for them to to getting on top of the, the French side, especially with the best player in the world playing at scrum half uh, for the French, slowing down their breakdown, making it annoying for them. I think that'll be key. I mean, it wasn't just Hooper as well. Like, it was awesome to see him back. Like, was, with everything he's been through over the past year, hmm. World Rugby, mate, it's awesome to have him back on the field. But, like, Slipper, the type five up front as well, the work they got through at Mall, slowing down collisions, like you mentioned, stopping Mall attack and stopping launches. Mate, they were really impressive. That was the collision bit. It'll go up a level against France this week because France are more physical than Scotland. They're probably one of the best packs on the planet. But, like the other guy you mentioned there, and I thought from an Australian perspective, I thought Tate McDermott was like an, a bit of an unknown for me as well. So to see him get around the danger he threat poses as well to a French defensive line, I'm sure Sean Edwards will be all over Nick White, Tate McDermott this week in their trainings. Um, but yeah, man, just physically, the way they played and the way they bossed that game line, they really restricted Scotland. And then even if they were broken, there were quite a few line breaks and entries into red zone, but the way they scrapped and made big turnovers... Um, in their red zone was really impressive as well. So, mate, there'll be a big test. Johnny mentioned the break he's had there, Joe. Michael Hooper, how important is he to this Australia side? You know, what he offers, not only physically with with his breakdown prowls and and his leadership, but just from a spiritual aspect as well. Like he's, he's a huge spiritual leader of that squad. Um, and, you know, a lot of these young guys that are coming through actually, you know, grew up watching him play so he's obviously a huge inspiration to those guys as well. So, yeah, he's hugely important. And I think he, he's always been a huge factor in Wallaby wins as well. Every game that the Wallabies have won, uh, he's always had a huge influence. And, you know, for, for them to get a win over France, he'd have to be really influential. You played against him tons, Jerome. I'm sure he was an absolute nuisance to play against. But where does he rank in terms of the, uh, the back rows you faced in your career? Oh, without, without a doubt, one of the best. Mate, we talk about the break that he had uh, at the beginning of the season. I'm surprised that it took that long for him to take a mm. little break from the game. He, uh, I think it was 10 years nonstop. He played 80 minutes during every Super Rugby game and then get to the Test Series and he played every game 80 minutes as well. And uh, never injured. I'd never see him uh, injured or anything go off with the injury during games. And did that non-stop. I think he's got the record for the fastest 50 tests and the fastest 100 games in Super Rugby. So uh, for me, I was quite surprised he didn't take a mental break or a, a little break earlier in his career. But um, man, hats off to him. He's such a durable, resilient uh, player. And I think he's key for, for the Wallabies going into this World Cup year. We mentioned the breakdown there. What are the other key factors this weekend then? France, Australia, where's the game going to be won and lost? Mate, breakdown's definitely key, but um, I think uh, up front, the French pack have uh, created this little, uh, they've made a name for themselves that uh, they're quite brutal, uh, really efficient with their, their line out, their scrum. So I think up front, if you can't uh, get a sentence there, then uh, you might struggle because if they're going forward, it's going to be hard to stop them. I definitely agree with Jerome there, purely because uh, France need quick ball to, I guess, get their backs involved. And you see how dangerous they are when they do get that quick ball. So 
Australia will probably need another stat like they have against Scotland. Um, you know, where you said a third of their third of their breakdown were just what was it like under three seconds? Yeah, they're, they're going to need to have that sort of influence, and I think it more so starts in the contact zone, like in the tackle, because uh, a lot of these big bodies once they get moving, the defense lines get tighter. That just creates more space out wide, and then you got guys like uh, Dupont in open space. It's not going to be pretty for the Wallabies. I mean, someday you've done a pile of analysis in your time. When you look from the outside and you watch this French side, do you see any perceived areas of weaknesses? Jerome's just touched on the strengths. But if you were Dave Rennie, where would you be looking to attack? I think a lot of their strengths depend. Uh, you need possession and you also need quick ball. So I think attacking attacking their forward pack as much as possible, slowing them down, slowing the slowing their pace down, especially in attack, is going to be hugely important. I think it goes a long way. I think, you know, the teams that they probably struggle with in the past are the teams that sort of limit their try-scoring abilities. And playing against some French sides when when things are tight and they start to get desperate and they start, you know, throwing all these crazy loopy like offloads and, you know, when things aren't going well for them is that's sort of the things that you have to bring them into. You have to bring them into that sort of dog fight. And the only way you can do that is if you slow their ball down. I might come back and ask you all for a score prediction at the end, but let's have a little bit of a chat about you, Joe, because we saw last weekend when you were at Murrayfield, we saw Jack Dempsey playing for Scotland against Australia, having won 14 caps for them back in the day, a few years ago. And we've seen a lot of players now take advantage of that world rugby eligibility rule change. You've obviously got, Samoan Heritage, you've played for the Wallabies, the likes of Jeff Tumungar-Allen, Stephen Luatura now in that Samoa fold. Have you ever been approached or not? Uh, no, I haven't been approached. And rightly so. I think a lot of the, the Samoan backs available are, are really good. Uh, you know, competitions, especially in the positions that I play in are, are big. So, um, you know, they've got a, a lot of talent in, in, in the backs department. So, um, you know, if if the phone call does happen, I'll, I'll definitely consider it. It's something that I'll probably have to talk to my mum, dad, and, and my wife about uh, because, you know, ultimately the decisions that I make have a huge impact on, on them. And He's being pretty modest. He'll be in my starting Manusama team. <laughs> 100%. Create a hashtag, eh? Just call Maps. <laughs> Bring him back. But, well, seriously, though, that must have been quite a strange moment for Jack Dempsey. Like, growing up in Australia representing your country 14 times. And I understand he's got Scottish heritage, but then playing against the country that you represented, listening to that national anthem and then singing the other, na- like it must've been a really strange process and a little bit of a head fuck for him for a first cap for a new country, but also I guess cool for him in that you've been told by Dave Rennie that he wasn't physical enough and circumstances change and you've got that heritage and the rule changes has worked. But I, I found myself thinking, watching on and watching the anthems, geez, I feel a little bit sorry for this guy. This must be a real head fuck of a first cap for a new nation. Like it can't have been an easy start to play against Australia. But mate, it's weird. I, I didn't think this rule would have a drip down effect on Scotland. I thought it would be more Pacific nations, secondary nations that need a boosted pre-World Cup. And that's it. When we see the boys now that are lining up for Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, um, it just means that like this test window now is going to be even more interesting and mate, all hell is going to break loose in the World Cup with the boys that have been picked back in these teams. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And there's still a year to go, Joe. So there's time yet. We'll um we'll do a bit. Sign of them up. Hashtag bring them back. <laughs> 
you made the move to France, obviously, with Montpellier back in 2016. Johnny knows Montpellier very well, having played for them. But speaking of kind of international rugby, how tough a decision was that to make? Because obviously with the Gitto law, as they call it, in Australia, you you would have known that you were kind of ending your international career, at least for a period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... Yeah, it it was a it was a really hard decision because, you know, growing up in Australia, all I ever wanted to do was play for the Wallabies, um, and it's it's kind of like your, it's kind of like I, I put my dream aside to chase something else, I guess, and that that that's really what it came down to is just at that moment, where do I see myself in my career and what else do I want to change, uh, chase and and achieve and. You know, uh, originally the reason why I went to Europe is because I wanted the positional change and I wanted to go into the centres and and I didn't think I was going to get that opportunity playing in Australia. So, you know, the opportunity in France came with Jake White to sort of start to learn my trade in, in centres because I I feel like uh, 32-year-old wingers don't, uh, don't have a shelf life, <laughs> uh, which is why I wanted the positional change and, and obviously develop my game and my skill. and. Thankfully, I got that opportunity. We talked a little bit at the weekend, but how did you find arriving in Montpellier, different culture, different language? You mentioned coach there, who was Jake. That quite quickly became Vern Cotter. You probably had time under him as well and two coaches in two years. We all know France can be a bit more volatile, but how did you find the change in moving environment initially? Uh, it was really tough. Uh, yeah, and, but it, it was also an awesome experience to sort of once you start to see past all of the, the French quirks, because um, there, there are a lot of quirks, um, and then you sort of grow to love it. I was just grateful that I had my wife move with me because she made things a lot easier. But now that I've come back second time around and I've understood what it's like and what it takes to sort of move here, it, I've grown to just love the place. Having uh, experienced Montpellier and then moving to Leinster, and now back in France, back at Biarritz, what would be the one thing that uh, sticks out for you from each of the clubs? Is there, is there a similarity from Montpellier to Biarritz or also Leinster to, to any of the other two? I, I guess... Good or bad? <laughs> the, well, the, the lifestyle, I guess, is uh, quite similar here in uh, Biarritz to, to Montpellier. And I, I'd say the, the way they approach the rugby is completely different. You know, you got... Leinster, who are quite, I'd say, structured in a sense, ultimate professional side, and that's shown to be a successful recipe because of you know how many champion finals they've been in, how many European Cups they've won, and yeah, coming to to France, it sort of I guess opened me up outside of rugby and made me appreciate rugby a little more because you know the the lifestyle makes you. I know, live a little little bit and, and appreciate the things that you actually get. Um, I don't think I appreciated rugby as much when I was in Australia because it just sort of seemed like it was a bit of a job. And, and it is, but it's also a privilege. And I think playing in France makes you realise how privileged you are. I mean, to touch on that time at Leinster, Stu Lancaster was your coach there. He's obviously coming to France now to coach Racing next season. How good a coach was he and what can Racing fans expect next year? Oh, man. I, he, he was honestly an amazing coach. Probably one of the best coaches that I had. And his attention to detail, even to like 
small things is what I reckon separates him from like a lot of coaches. One of my first training sessions, we had a little like 10 meter passing drill and they had camcorders out recording us just throw these little short passes. And I was like, oh, well, surely everyone knows how to throw a pass. You know, you wouldn't be a professional athlete if you didn't know how to throw a pass. And then the next day we reviewed that little passing segment and reviewed every single little bit of detail, like where your hand was on the ball, are you catching it early, the last finger that should be touching the ball when you release is such and such, you know, like just went into, broke down the skill of passing to its absolute detail. And I think that had a huge success on like a lot of the young guys coming through because it sort of showed them the the kind of application that you need to be at your best. And I think that's what he'll probably bring to racing. And I also don't think he'll try and change too much of the flair that, that is in French rugby because there is a lot of flair. I think he'll try and bring pieces to manage it and sort of teach him, okay, there's a time and place try and teach guys you know this is when these sort of situations we need to be able to do this and and then obviously give him the opportunity to express himself as well there's not too much flair involved with just getting the ball and passing it to twist over (laughs) 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 yeah that's true that's true (laughs) easy but you also mentioned at the weekend that he was awesome in a sense like all coaches we work with are very different you get guys that are very controlling guys that are very op- open and you mentioned that he was an extreme delegator so he basically just empowered all the players it was many groups and you essentially go the skill set bits aside but team templates now we play go and create it yourselves do it yourselves which i thought was amazing yeah i mean he he was really big on um the players driving the culture, you know, having having a place where it's a player led uh, player led team, and to me, it, it kind of it, it makes sense because he's not going to be on the field doing it for you, you know. Like sometimes you can prepare for for matches, and some things aren't going like the things they might have prepared for aren't going to be what the picture that you get on the weekend. So being able to problem solve as as a playing group is hugely important. And that's sort of, I think that's where his philosophy was sort of based based around. And, you know, he just made sure that he gave you um, all the tools to prepare you for any sort of situation on the weekend. And and I think that's why he's been so successful. Is that something you're keen on, Jerome, as a coach? Because we hear a lot about certain coaches that might be a bit more autocratic and sort of do this, do that. But it seems like the more time goes on and the more modern we get in coaching things being player led is more and more important yeah i'm huge on that uh i come from uh, like where i was in new zealand majority of uh our culture our our team environments were heading into being player led there's a lot of autonomy being uh pushed so uh even with the all blacks uh richie dan and a lot of the leaders ran majority of our, our week so for me it was kind of a natural thing to go into and a natural thing to be a part of. And uh, I've seen the the positives and the benefits of having a player-led um, environment, but I've also seen a, a negative effect that it has, especially if the leaders aren't driving what uh, what's best for the for the team. So I can see both. But if uh, if the leaders or whoever the players are, that are driving it, if they're hitting it in the right direction, then it's a it's a great 
great philosophy and a great way to have uh, your team. I'm sure those players know who they are, Jerome, the ones that are not the right leaders. <laughs> but John, pick your leaders carefully. Eh? <laughs> Well, I was going to say name and shame. Obviously, you can't, but can you give us an example of where the leadership roles ended up in the wrong hands and how this shit hit the fan without naming clubs and people, obviously? No, it's just in terms of, uh, like uh, Joe said, there's, uh, teams need a level of uh, attention to detail, but also like uh, accountability. And if you get leaders who focus a lot more on the social aspects of uh a team than uh, what's needed on the field to be actually you turn up and you tell each other what to do, uh, whether it's positive or negative. I've, I've had a team where a lot of the focus was put on enjoying the team environment, whether it's social, <laughs> without naming too many people. Or, uh, Mate, we'll just say it's the babas. And Joe, I don't know how player-led it is at at Beer Ritz, but as someone who would be going in as a a leader at the stage of your career that you're at, how did that move to Beer Ritz come about and and why Beer Ritz? Uh, Well, Beer Ritz, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's an attractive place to be. Uh, It is is an amazing place. But I I guess when I was in Japan uh, and the call came through by Matt Clark and uh, who's the director of rugby here, what he did to sell me the place was the fact that he said that they had high ambitions of getting back into the top footing. So they just obviously been relegated and they have a really young squad and high ambitions of being back in the top 14. And, and I saw that as an opportunity to go be a part of something special from the ground up, you know, that, that was the most attractive part coming into a squad with a lot of young guys hopefully passing on good knowledge um, from my past experiences and and building something special with this this young group. And the beach, though, eh? Like, the beach played a part as well. Well, I can't swim, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, the place is... The place Stunning. Is yeah, it's, it's one of your favourite spots as well, Jerome. You absolutely yeah. love Buritz. Yeah, my, my family were there on the weekend with me. Uh, I stayed behind. What a spot. Generally, the fact that you've both been all over the world now and there's randomly been the possibility of an Anzac team made up of a combination of Kiwis, Aussies playing against the Lions in 2025. What do you make of that as a prospect? That would be incredible. Even when I was playing in New Zealand, we uh, would always talk about the Lions tour and uh, we used to always have this comment, how come they get to combine a team and we don't have one down here? Nice. We always thought of uh, having uh, Springboks, Aussie, All Blacks, um, uh, version of the Lions. It'd be awesome to have the test every couple of years or four years. If there's any possibility of that forming, uh, I'll definitely be a supporter. You're not going to come out of retirement though, throw your hat in the ring to play? No chance. <laughs> Man, I think it'd be huge for for the game, especially in Australia. It, it will create like a, a lot of buzz because the buzz around rugby right now is sort of dwindling a little bit, especially in Australia because, you know, obviously the there, there are five major sports that we're very competitive in and, and the talent pool obviously seems to pick uh, a lot of the other sports. So creating something like that where you're getting the best of Australia, the best in New Zealand, playing against the best of Europe, that, that'll sell tickets anywhere. They'll sell tickets to Mars. That'd be awesome. What I'd like to see is uh, the Pacific Isles hey. team back. That would be mm-hmm. unreal. I, I think just because there's a lot of... Um, European-based Pacific Islander players now, they they already have that attraction 
with the fans up on this side of the world. Having a Pacific Isles team that had tour play against like the European sides, I reckon it'll sell tickets everywhere. That was one of the games that I looked forward to the most. So I played it again for Scotland, played against the Pacific Island team at Murrayfield. And I was so pumped to play in it because I'd grown up watching Sitaveni Sivavatu and all these legends wearing this jersey. And that was a chance to play against them. I agree with you 100% as well. If logistically it's easy and you can pull a team together like a Babas team, but make it a PI's team for Autumn Internationals or whatever it is, and there's a drip down effect economically as well to help out Pacific nations, it's a no-brainer. It's amazing. If we can sell out stadiums and do it, it's amazing. But in terms of a player playing against it, there was almost no more frightening team to play against because all the best athletes <laughs> in the world are in that one team and then you've got to rock up and play against them. So in terms of incitement, excitement factor as a player and as a fan, I don't think there's any other, apart from maybe a hybrid of the South African, New Zealand, Aussie nations, I don't think there's any more exciting prospect of a team. And Jerome's not coming out of retirement, but we've got an Australia-New Zealand combined team and we've got a Pacific Island team and Joe's putting his hand up for both, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Again, I'll probably be fifth in line for <laughs> for um, <laughs> both sides. I'll put my hand up to be water boy or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come for the social aspect, I guess. Yeah. I'll come lead the charge there. And since we've got you both and we're on this subject, right, we've got Coach Kano as one selector. Joe, not a coach yet, but a very experienced selector in the other corner. We've got a New Zealand-Australia combined 15 Oof. at the moment. How many players from New Zealand? How many players from Australia? Chuck some names around. Go. Oh, well, Rico Ioana has got to start at centre for me. Yep. I'm surprised he hasn't been World Rugby Player of the Year. He's been nominated a couple of times, but hasn't won. He's got to be starting 13 for me. Is it just the Australian-New Zealand team? Yeah, just the two. We'll keep it to that. I'll go Adi Savir, Michael Hooper. I'll let either the forwards and I'll try and figure out the backs. Give us the other one in that back row, Jerome. At the moment, I'll go Harry Wilson, Adi Savir, Michael Hooper. Uh, Akira Ioane on the bench. Locks, I would go Rory Arnold, Sam Whitelock, mm. Slipper, Cody Taylor, and uh, Daniela Tupou. Yeah, Tongan Thor has to be. Yeah. That's a great forward pack. I mean, I would go Aaron Smith, Richie Moanga. You could flip a coin between Tate McDermott and Nick White on the bench. You know, they're, they're both quality halfbacks. Then you probably would go, I'd go Hunter Paisami, Rico Ioane in the centers, Geordie Barrett at fullback, Tom Wright on one wing, and Caleb Clark on the other. Seems pretty decent, Johnny. Beasts. That's a good team. Like, yeah. But this is off the top of our head. We need, we need like, to give, give us time. Like, I, I've left Bowden Barrett out of the starting lineup. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, he's <laughs> he's won two World Rugby Player of the Years, and I've left him out of the starting lineup. Like, he could easily be at 10. Then you got Damian McKenzie, who could be at fullback. We did put you on the spot. We'll give you a couple of meetings in Beeritz, a couple of coach meetings, yeah. selector meetings. You'll be fine. <laughs> And also, like, especially with the talent available now, like you imagine you had that team lining up against the Pacific Island team. Mm. Like, never mind the British British lines, but if you could get that composite team to sell tickets in the Southern Hemisphere or anywhere as a spectacle or take it to America for a spectacle game and sell tickets and spread the word of the game, yeah. it'd be insane. Um, so we can do our PI team next week. Can you imagine that back line? Insane. Sammy Rodriguez at 13 versus Rico Ioane. That's they're probably the two most exciting 13s. From the the glamour of the potential of of a of a team like that, 
Jay, talk us through last weekend because we mentioned you were with Johnny at Murrayfield. But I mean, I dread to think about your journey there because you were playing <laughs> playing away at Ruan on Friday night. Yeah, so uh, we played Friday night against Ruan away. Unfortunately, lost that game. Then I had to be on a, I think it was a 10.30 flight to, to Glasgow. But Ruan's about a two-hour car ride from Paris, Charles de Gaulle. So my morning started pretty early. I, I left Ruan about 6.30 in the morning. I got to Charles de Gaulle at 9 because there was a little bit of traffic. So I was, I was running through Charles de Gaulle trying to find my gate. And that airport's massive. So I worked up a bit of a sweat. Um, sitting on my on my packed flight unfortunately this girl was just sitting next to me and I was just sweating bullets from running through this airport and, <laughs> and then got off at Glasgow and uh, John Beatty, legend unbelievable <laughs> man, picks me up from the airport and uh, drives me to Murrayfield, watched the game and then was up at like 4.30 the next day to get a flight to Dublin to meet my wife who was in Dublin for the weekend and then we flew to Bordeaux and then Caught a train to Biritz. Wow. It's a hell of a weekend. The, the main reason I asked was to make me feel better because I, I had a bit of a drive, but that sounds a lot worse. So I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> For clarification as well, that wasn't me that picked you up at the airport in Glasgow. Oh, it was your dad. It was my dad. <laughs> so my dad, yeah. my dad picked you up. How was he as a taxi driver, Joe? How was he? Oh, he was awesome. We had great yarns on the way down. <laughs> we covered almost every single topic we could think of it, it was it was awesome you know like i learned i got to learn so much about him and and his story and obviously vice versa it was, it was real cool best friends though mate they're best friends the type. oh yeah we're gonna do a golf and whiskey tour in scotland soon so oh, yes <laughs> i didn't even get the invite this is amazing yeah. <laughs> well, we won't mention the rugby on friday night in in real and you mentioned it there at 12 9 Sounds like an absolute thriller, but that is about the longest, well, it is the longest journey you can get really from Beeritz, isn't it? In terms of an away trip. I know when Johnny was playing in Pro Deux, he used to say they made him catch the bus everywhere. Tell me they didn't make you catch the bus to Rome. No, we actually flew in that morning. Glamour, mate. That's probably the last game we're going to fly to because we lost though. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was real nice. It was, it was my first away trip and we got to fly on the plane, whereas, uh, a few of the boys earlier on the season, they played in Vaughan and that's like a 10-hour bus trip. And I was unfortunately injured for that game. Hmm. Okay. Mate, up to, up to see Jerome's <laughs> other mate as well, John Affor. He's John up there Affor. now as well. He's in Vaughan enjoying it. But generally, like aside from logistics and the bus trips and the beers on the way back, like how are you finding Pro Day Do? Because landing in the top 14, we've already mentioned, can be a culture shock. But Pro Day Do is, is another level compared to other different levels, you know, second tier in England or elsewhere. So how are you finding Pro Day Do in general? Because it's mayhem. Look, it is crazy, but I think the fact that I had experienced France beforehand made it a lot easier for me to transition second time around. And, you know, it's it's weird. I, I'm sort of enjoying it because it just gives me flashbacks of what it was like when I was, before I became a professional rugby player. You know, they still ha have a lot of that sort of um that sort of rugby community sense in Pro Deux. You know, like when I was playing club rugby, it's all about hanging out with your mates and enjoying yourself afterwards and, and that sort of stuff. You know, that's that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting being back in it. And it just gives gives me a little bit of like warm feelings, really, because you grow to sort of appreciate playing rugby with your mates when it's like that, you know? 
But Johnny mentioned comparing it to the English second tier there. It's just, it's great that the the crowds are massive, the, the it's vibrant and it, it's a thriving second tier league in France, which you don't get in most other countries in the world, do you? Oh, it's crazy. Like the, the fans here absolutely love this team. And I think it's massive for the sport because there's a lot of history in a lot of these Prodi Deux clubs as well. And you sort of feel the passion when you talk to a Biritz fan, um, how passionate they are about the side. It's almost like the team is etched into their their being. That's how passionate they are. And it, when, you, when you play at home games or away games, it honestly feels like you're playing in, in a top-level competition because of how passionate the fans are. Well, there's a lot of positives and it sounds like you swerved the 10-hour bus trip to Van and you flew to Rouen. So you, the negatives are all fine. They're out of the way now, Johnny. Well, I haven't experienced the negatives yet. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the presidents get involved and all sorts off the field. Then you might have a few negatives. Until then, you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Joe, and um, sharing your insights into the Wallabies and the Secretary of France and everything in between. And um, well, enjoy the whiskey and golf tour of Scotland when you go and see John Beatty over there. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to it, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Pleasure, mate. Thanks, see you guys. Great to have Joe on. Some really interesting stuff there. And you would have played against him, Jerome, in Super Rugby? Yeah, I would have uh, played against him a lot in Super Rugby and also, I think, probably two or three test matches. And he was good company at the weekend, Johnny? Oh, mate, just a good egg. Like, good company, easy funny um mate, it was great on stage as well him and henry were a good double act so great to spend some time with them over here or oh, sorry back in scotland and hopefully we'll now catch up or hopefully i'll get invited on that golf trip and whiskey tasting in scotland i don't know what's gonna happen but uh <laughs> but yeah just a great guy. speaking of edinburgh and having beers johnny how does a free case of beer sound sign me up mate it is getting cold it's no longer time for beach drinking it's home drinking not leaving the house drinking so if you've got something for me tim we will send one to you as well, Jerome. With the Autumn Nation series yep. back and Christmas coming up, our very good friends at Beer 52 are offering you a free case of eight craft beers. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash French and cover the meagre postage costs of £5.95 to claim your free case now. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world. They showcase the best independent breweries from across the globe, so there's no better way to enjoy a good beer during this year's Autumn Nation series. So far, members have experienced beers from 40 different countries spanning five continents. You can try the best beers from across the world with the UK's number one beer club. And if dark beer is not your thing, you can choose the light-only case and you get the award-winning Ferment magazine, a couple of tasty snacks included as well. And if after all that, you're still not satisfied for whatever reason, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So what are you waiting for? Just head to beer52.com forward slash French to claim your free case now. That's beer, then the numbers 52.com forward slash French and a case of beer can be on its way straight to your door. A lot of international chat there. So not too much time to touch on the top 14, although we did discuss the Polar Rochelle game earlier on. But before we get into a, a bit of top 14 action, transfers, there's always transfers. Is Dan Bigger in Toulon already or not? Man, he's still being, like nothing's been announced yet. So Jerome probably knows he signed for Toulouse and we don't, but uh, <laughs> no. he's still between Racing, Clermont, Toulon. There's still two or three clubs chasing a big 10. That with Mathieu Jalibert on the market, Yanchis as well from... South Africa. So it hasn't been announced yet, but mate, there are tons of things floating around. Jamie George potentially to Clermont with things really changing in England. We saw Baptiste Couillou as well at Lyon. He activated his liberation clause 
Those rumors he might be going to Stade Francais. Thomas Dutoy, he's at the Celsi Sharks. He was a joker for Toulouse yeah. in 2019. He, he probably played with them, Jerome. It's been announced he's going to Lyon. Pierre Popelin moving from La Rochelle to Cast. Joshua Tuasova, who would definitely be in the PI's team, yeah. has moved to Racing con- to confirmed. Um, I mean, there's loads of movement up in Racing as well, like Wenceslas Laurie, Bernard Larue with injuries that potentially saying they're both stopping end of the year. So, like, it's crazy. And some movement on the coaching side of things as well, Johnny. Yeah, so it was announced today Olivier Azam has left his role at Montpellier um, for family reasons. It's been announced, but you never know. And looking to go back and join family in England. Um, and already, like the way it works, like Jerome knows how the market works. You've already got three, four guys lined up to take his job mm-hmm. the day after he's gone. So you've got Yannick Brew, David Atub, and Patrice Colazzo as well, all lined up. So good coaches. And Montpellier obviously looking to up the game and change a little bit what they're about up front um, after a couple of hard weeks. So yeah, loads of movement. Anything in Toulouse, Jerome? Any scapes you can give us? <laughs> no, no news here, apart from uh, a lot of my Espoir boys getting scooped up to play for the pro, pro team. You wouldn't tell us if there was, but that's good. Coming through the youth ranks. Yeah. <laughs> I mate, on that note, so a few of your players again showed real character coming back. Like they were down massively in Bayonne at halftime. But some boys really stood up. Intermac yeah. was, was decent, not Roman, but Theo, number eight, who I worked and did some of the games he played for the 20s. Like he can carry a ball and offload and some excitement, excitement in him. Your halfbacks as well. You mentioned them previously last time you were on, but... How proud of, were you of those young guys to come back in those types of circumstances in that type of stadium? Yeah, I was really proud. Obviously, in the first half, everything was uh, pretty one-sided. Bayon winning the contact, had all the momentum, uh, making the right decisions. And then in the second half, I think our guys just wanted to just get the ball and play. I think what was holding us back was our discipline. But you're going to get there when you've got young guys playing. They're just keen to get into everything, keen to play, but... Uh, the level changes when she, once you go from Espoir to top 14, they found that out. But to stay in the fight and come pretty close to, to winning the game, I was pretty proud. And speaking of just wanting to get the ball and play, we spent an awful long time talking about him last week, Johnny, so we won't dwell on it too much this week. But we have to mention him. Finn, 23 points again in Racing's win away at Breve. He's certainly got a point to prove maybe and he's playing well still. Oh, look, his form's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all we can say uh, again so far this season I think he's been 91% uh, off the tee as well so like he's kicking well Scotland could have done with a kicker at the weekend 23 points and made three key passes to set up three key tries to win away from home and breathe for a team that are battling for their lives so he's been consistent he's playing well he's not quite making the cut at the minute for the Scottish side but he's still killing it for Racing 92 and you're doing the Sunday night game Johnny Bordeaux, we've spoken about them a bit so far this season, up and down. They came back from 2010 down to beat Toulon, didn't they? Yeah, and again, they really struggled to control the game. That was quite similar to the Scotland-Australia game. They just Nobody wanted to control it. Kind of messy conditions, error-strewn, discipline was poor, a couple of free tries. Big Kane Douglas, like I'm not sure if you watched the game, but Kane Douglas, the Aussie second row when he came on, just monstered people. He really changed things and the physicality went up a level in the second half when he came on. Not too much between the sides, but Bordeaux managed to pin down one piece of possession with a minute to go in Toulon 22. Vazea sticks his hands in when he shouldn't. That was a brain fart and that's it. Three points as the ball game. So it wasn't pretty, but Bordeaux again, who'd already lost one at home opening game of the season against Jerome's mob. Um, they came close to it again to losing to Toulon this weekend, but they just got across the line. So a really important win for them. Let's have a very quick look ahead to this weekend's games then. We chatted a lot about it earlier on. So let's get your score prediction in. What is happening? 
with France Australia? France winning, uh, I would say 32-15. Yeah, I don't want to say comfortable, but I think it will be comfortable. Um, maybe not quite as big a margin. I'll go France by 12, but I think they've got enough. Times have changed now. They get prepped together, even though they've had injuries. They've had time together as a squad. They've got some key men back from injury as well. Serial by has been back. It looks like he's going to be on the bench or start. He's super important for them. And yeah, I think they'll have just too much, too much power up front and a big blitz defense that the hobby Aussies haven't faced so far. The Wallabies haven't faced that in a little while. I think they might be in for a little bit of a shock as the ABs were this time last year. And I think they might come unstuck. So France comfortably by 15 points. And we won't go through all the Autumn Nation series games, but you mentioned earlier, Jerome, you were confident in the All Blacks. So Give us a prediction for Wales and New Zealand. I can't give you a score, but I'll go All Blacks by 20. I've got ABs by 17, I've written down. I think as well, mate, so much gets banded around against the ABs. The closest I ever came with Scotland was like, a, I think it was like a six point or an eight point gap. And like, that was as close as we got. But when you talk about the ABs and everyone talks them down, it's just at your peril. Like they're going to come over here and kick the shit out of people. That's what's going to happen. That's what I think is going to happen is oh, this is the most beatable ABs team we've seen forever and this and that. And then they're kind of going to come over here with a bit between their teeth and unleash on Wales this weekend. So I would say New Zealand by 17. And what's the pick of the top 14 to look out for this weekend, Johnny? To lose, again, I don't want to ask Jerome what his team is and he gives away his hand. But again, without that many internationals, it's obviously going to be difficult. You boys will take in a lot from the heart that was shown in the character in the second half but it's never easy when you put out the kids that's the thing and Ugo Mola spoke really well about how proud he was and the pride um, he had in them but that'll be a toughie as well like I, I think that'll just be nicked I think that'll be a really close game I'm going to go for that one to lose by four points to beat Stade Francais and to lose cheers mate <laughs> and you can talk about other games mate so Leon versus Cast Toulon versus Montpellier as well I'll go Cast over Leon in Leon. yeah Big one. Big uh, Toulon of Montpellier. And what was the last one? And Stade Francais to beat Toulouse. No, 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 no. <laughs> no chance. And we've we've mentioned we're getting the beers in for Christmas, Jerome. Obviously, we're a bit early, but in the lead up to Christmas, you're going to bring us a code as well, aren't you? You've got some underwear to sell us. Yes, me and uh, a couple of my best mates from uh, New Zealand have uh, underwear company. I Swear to God, they'll be the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn in your life. So I'll yes. send you boys a couple to try so you guys can uh, say if you like them or not. But uh, we'll definitely have a code for you guys, uh, a discount code for you to hop on and, and purchase some. Perfect time for Christmas as well. Get them in for your brothers, get them in for your dads, grandpas. And are they for all shapes and sizes as well, Drew? All shapes and sizes. This is going to sound like quite an odd thing to say, but I'm pregnant at the moment. In You know, I'm not... <laughs> physically myself but it kind of has the same effect a lot of pizzas a lot of curries so we go from uh size extra small to 5xl holy you got us covered yeah we've got everyone covered awesome well we'll have that discount code for everyone next week yeah uh, where would they go to find it mintware.co.nz mintware.co.nz we look forward to uh, getting our hands on a pair of those don't we johnny couple mate and then Joe will probably be buying them for my dad for Christmas. It's not, it's, not, it's not this is stuck with me. But mate, that's it. Now I've got grandpas, dads, uncles, brothers. I know what I'm getting them for Christmas. There's going to be everyone's stockings, mate. So thank you very much.
Excellent. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Jerome and for Joe for joining us. And thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review if you can, check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.